Thank you. Greetings from Sister Savannah and Amelia, who went to Beverly Hills, I think with some of the other young, uh, young people. Go ahead, Brother Paul. I would like to. Yeah. Yep. I would like to thank the Lord and everyone who was keeping me and my family in prayer due to my mother's passing. But I would like to share um, a wonderful experience I had in the hospital with my mother. Saturday, I believe it was the 2nd of July, I received a phone call. My father was in tears over the phone to say that mom was not doing so well. So I phoned up my young sister and uh, she went to the hospital as we all did and Angelo and my wife Dori, while Bianca was in Windsor uh, visiting her cousins. So after we went to the hospital, we were in there and I said, hello mom, how are you? And all that stuff. Then I asked my mom three questions. Mom, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And she said, yes. Mom, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and your sins? Yes. And then I asked her the last one. Mom, do you believe that you've been forgiven? Do you believe that? Yes. So I have a glimmering hope, or a hope, according to the scripture, that I could see my mom later on. And my friends, some of you may not be believers, and you know who you are. You don't have to wait to the last moment. Whatever your beef is, whatever your qualms are harping on, church or family or whatever it may be, we're all human beings. We all have our issues. It's inevitable. We will err. Don't wait till the last moment, like my mom. Don't wait, because there may not be a hope. There may not be a tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Paul. We'll continue to keep the family in your prayers, and we're so thankful that the Lord gave perhaps a last, uh, last minute in the, in the few, min few minutes to midnight, as it were, that there was still a as the scripture says, as long as there's life, there's hope. And we're thankful that your mother did confess Christ, and we pray that we will see her again one day. The irony of it is that... Hmm. The, the irony of it is that... Uh, the next day, I went to visit her again in the hospital. She was in a coma state type... Um, uh, my, my, my niece could explain this much better because she's a, uh, a nurse. Uh, mm. Is she here? Yeah, there she is. Mm. So she was in a coma state. Her kidneys was only like 15% or less functioning. She didn't have any fluids, or sorry, she didn't have any uh, physical or solid food. She was on basically uh, IV mm. vitamins and just prolonging the inedible. But the irony of it is that you know, she just basically went into that coma state, and then on Tuesday, around just slightly after two, she passed on. Mm -hmm. And that was basically the last thing I could say to her. The best words that I could ever, ever, you know, instead of, oh, mom, did you have a great day? How was your mm -hmm. day? You know, it's, you know, Father's Day just passed. Canada Day was just mm -hmm. yesterday. You know, we dealt with the most important thing. So I'm very thankful to the Lord for that. Yeah, we thank the Lord. I. I sometimes wonder, we know that the Lord is gracious, and perhaps there's that little moment in time before we step from this world into the next that the Lord gives one more chance. But it's so much better to heed his call today. <clears throat> Thank you. Yeah, Lena wasn't able to gather with us today. She wasn't feeling well. Are there any other greetings? I have a few. Thank you. Greetings from Sister Ildi. My mother extends uh, greeting. She uh, has this uh, occasionally that her she loses sight in her eye, so she wasn't able to drive this morning. Unfortunately, the doctor won't see her till October, but uh, she sent her special love and greetings. Thank you. Greetings from Brother Doug, who I believe is worshiping with the Warren congregation this morning in Ohio. 
<clears throat> my brother Eric is in Richmond with his family after camp. They're going to be doing a little bit of uh, sightseeing down there, but they'll be worshiping in Richmond at the church there, and they extend greetings. Um, I'll just run through the announcements. For those that did not hear, there was a tragic accident on Friday night. Um, Pete and Linda Webble from the Mansfield congregation and Frida Gotchling, who was also traveling with them, um, there was a, um, a very horrible car accident and all three perished. So uh, for those that knew them, uh, Pete and Linda, I believe, were the parents of, of Jesse and Jason um, Webble, for those that remember them from uh, a while back. And Frida Gotchling was the, uh, the widow of Brother Marty Gotchling, the grandmother of the, the Gotchling family in, from Mansfield. So please remember the family in, in your prayers. There's no arrangements yet for funerals. Uh, uh, the, moving on to more mundane things, um, our, our Wednesday night gathering will be the, um, a review of, of camp for those that weren't able to be there. So you're encouraged to bring your camp booklets and we can talk about some of the things that we learned there. The theme was, um, it was on revival. And so we'll be going through some of the things that we, we learned there and hopefully be able to share with, with all of you. The, this month's uh, focus of the month collection is for the Cheerful Giver Project, which is going to go to efforts, uh, humanitarian efforts for the Ukraine. So um, anything not earmarked otherwise will go there, and you can certainly submit your checks this month for that effort. That's all the announcements that I have. Before we look into God's Word together, let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that Thou hast shown us, not only through thy word, but through thy son who came and walked among us, that this world is not the end, that the soul indeed goes on, but we each need to be prepared to meet thee, Heavenly Father. We know that thou hast done everything, thou hast removed every obstacle, every barrier to entering into thy kingdom to be with thee, but yet thou wilt neither force nor um, take us against our will there, we must willingly lay down our will to do thine. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray that this morning their word would be effective for that purpose, that we'd be able to look into its pages and learn from it, and that our souls would be touched, and that we would return to thee, our loving Father. Be with those that could not gather with us this morning, those that were constrained by illness or age, those that uh, had other things that came up that didn't allow them to gather. Bless them even as we anticipate a blessing. Be with those that are still traveling, those that will be traveling shortly. Protect them on the way as we've seen in just this short time. Uh, safe travels are not always guaranteed, Heavenly Father, but thou dost know what is best, and so we depend on thee both for protection and sustenance. Be with uh, those who are also touched at camp and those that received uh, the, the prodding of thy spirit, that they would not walk away or turn away from that, but would seek thee early. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The scriptures open this morning to the 10th chapter of Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 10. I'd like to begin reading with the 17th verse. Actually, allow me to go a little bit earlier, start with the 13th verse. And they brought young children to him, that's Jesus, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. And when he had gone forth into the way, there came one running, 
and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answereth again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed, and as they followed him, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We, we can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized, withal shall ye be baptized, but to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John, but Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you shall be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. I've read until the end of the 45th verse. May the Lord bless the reading of the word. Almighty Heavenly Father, 
creator of this vast universe and sustainer of all that is. We come into your holy presence, unworthy. Lord, we marvel at these words spoken as you came into time and space and, and brought light into darkness and said things that even your disciples marvel and we marvel to this day. Lord, how you turned all our expectations upside down, that children should be chief, that the rich should be the desperate and at disadvantaged, in that the king of kings should suffer and die. Lord, all these things do not make sense to our human mind. But Lord, in your wisdom, you have created a plan to make salvation available to every single one of us. Lord, that with you all things are possible. There are those among us who face the impossible, who are overwhelmed, who have given up, who are in despair. But yet we serve the God of the impossible. Father, we want to lift up our heads this morning. We want to hear your living word. We want to change our hearts and our minds from our human limitations to your heavenly perspective. We want to let go of the things we hold on to, we grasp for security and power and status. We want to let them go and instead hold on to your unchanging hand. Father, you hear the great needs. There are many that are still on our hearts and yet you know them. We wanna pray for those who have recently lost loved ones tragically. Lord, comfort them. We're so thankful that they are ready to go into your presence. But Lord, you know the hole they leave behind. And we do pray that none would leave it to the last minute. But today, while it's called today, while they have the opportunity, they would indeed be, make themselves ready because we do not know the hour. We pray these things in weakness and in worship. In the name of Jesus, amen. <clears throat> I didn't really premeditate on what to speak about this morning, just simply opened the word and it opened here to these accounts. Mark's gospel is the most compact of the gospels. It's, uh, I would have said in the past, I guess, a series of snapshots of different events, connected though. Now I guess you'd say it's like an Instagram feed. It's got a series of, of events that are distinct but connected. And as we see these little episodes play out, each one has a special beauty or something in it that we can stop and marvel at. Uh, each of these little episodes are stripped down to their essentials. And from them we can gather things both about God and about ourselves. You see, Christ was given a great mission, and I think a good portion of Christianity preaches one part of his mission and maybe not a whole lot of the other. The first part was his great sacrifice, his work on the cross that was going to open the way again to the Father that we have been cut off from by sin. 
that his blood would be offered as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. That's one part, and that, I would say, is fairly widely known. But the other part of his mission, you see, that first part of his mission, he could have accomplished by simply showing up on the scene, being sacrificed, being buried, rising from the dead, and that would have been it. He would have taken care of that portion. But there was something else very important, I would even say essential, that he came to do that he could not have done by only arriving for a short time and then departing. He needed those 30-odd years that he was wandering the earth to do this, and that was to show us the Father. You see, the Jews of the Old Testament, when they were led out of slavery by Moses and taken into the wilderness, the, 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 probably the, the ultimate moment there in the wilderness was when they stood in front of Mount Sinai and Moses went up alone to receive the law of God and the whole mountain shook and was on fire. And they heard, they heard trumpets, they heard a voice from God and they said, we can't hear it. Moses, you go up alone and hear that. And God showed his power to his people. But after doing that, he showed them something even greater in his son. And that though he was the almighty God of the universe, the one who created all, the one who's greater than matter, greater than time, greater than anything with a limit, was also their loving father. That's a thought that still makes me stagger. To think of a God so great that I can, and I can still call him father, dad, as we would use nowadays. But then we see these little vignettes, and I wanted to read that first section that we read at verse 13. And they, and I assume that's the mothers, definitely, maybe the fathers as well, brought the children unto Jesus that he would bless them. We just got back from a week of camp and there was about 900 of us gathered together. The youngest, uh, barely over a month old. The oldest, I think was 94, 93. Huge range of ages. And the children, I mean, they really put a smile on your face. You get to see how quickly they grow. Some of them we haven't seen now in three years. And there's a whole new crop of teenagers. I have to, I'm, I'm now of the age where I've got to say, well, I, I can tell by your face what family you belong to. I can see your parents in you, but what's your name? Because I, I have no clue. But these little children, they're, they're, they're so precious because they represent a potential, an innocency. You know, as we get older, we get increasingly cynical about the human race. But children... Children represent the potential and the hope. And these little ones were brought to Jesus that he, should, that he should touch them, that he should put his hands on them and give a blessing, as was the Jewish custom. And his disciples, and if I have to be honest, I probably would have been among them, said, well, there's big important things. You, children can come back later when there's, there's not so much to do. Leave the master alone. He still has to teach. He's got people he has to heal. Big important things. And Jesus says, no, absolutely not. Bring the little children to me. Can you imagine that? Three short years of ministry culminating in pain and death. And Jesus carves out from his busy schedule a little bit of time for these little ones. I wonder how many of them, as they got older, would think back to those moments when that, that gentle teacher from Galilee took them in his arms and had a special smile or a comment or a little tickle just for them and told them, God loves you. It's easy to love children. It's a little harder to love adults. And adults that go wrong are the hardest to love of all. But the scripture tells us that while we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. That kind of love exceeds our human love. And <clears throat> Jesus took this opportunity with these children to give a special teaching. He says, whosoever 
shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. What does that mean? Well, we need to look at children, I guess, to understand that. Little children are a blank slate. They have an implicit trust in those that are in authority that they know love them, and they accept as gospel truth whatever you tell them. When there's a dispute, they come running to dad to find out who's right. When there's something that they don't know, they have no qualms about asking why, and they're ready to listen to, to, to uh, the answer that you give them. As adults, we're a bit more skeptical and we want to kind of judge the bias of the person giving the answer and maybe their agenda as to why they would answer a certain way. We, we kind of listen through filters, but the child doesn't know better. They have no filters. And sometimes it's pretty obvious. When the little ones go up there to sing their choir program, the Tiny Tots, they do silly things and we kind of giggle a little bit because they don't have any filters. They don't know fully what's expected of them and when they do silly things, uh, they don't even realize they're being funny. Like I said, they have no filters. And that's the way it is for God. Why? Well, because God loves us. And so when he made a way back to him, he made sure that that way back to him would have absolutely no barrier. And so he removes the work of salvation from our hands and takes the whole thing upon himself. He says, look, it doesn't depend on your background. It doesn't depend on your moral character. It doesn't depend on your intelligence. All you have to do is become like a little child and accept it. Realize that you haven't got the answers and someone else does. That's it. It really is that simple. But of course, as we get older, we, we realize life around us is complicated, and so we try to make salvation complicated as well. But we have to remember that if God made place for little children, we dare not complicate it. You know, our Zion's harp says, there's a one, one line in one of the hymns that says, and with a children's army great. It's talking about those that are redeemed of the Lord. And I, I think, yes, heaven will be fill, full of children. Those whose lives have ended prematurely in their innocence. Those that weren't even given a chance to live. They'll be there. And all of that potential will be realized in its goodness and in its fullness. And we'll see all that. And we'll praise God for it. As we get older, we start to realize things. You know, when we're kids, we think things will go on forever. Mom and Dad will always be there. When we scrape our knees or our elbows, they'll be there to bandage them, to take, to take us in their arms and comfort us when we're crying. But as we get older, we realize that this life is finite that there's an end coming, and then for a while, maybe in our 20s, we think everything's going to keep going the way that it always has. You know, from year to year, we don't feel a whole lot different or look a whole lot different. We just got plans and ambitions and things we want to do and places we want to go, and we're free. But then as the years go by, we realize patterns are being set. Career path, relationships, habits, Health maybe begins to fail us in one small area or the other. You know, the young guys playing basketball at camp don't wear knee braces, but some of us older ones, you'll see bits of hardware on us. I'm not wearing one yet, but maybe next year I will. Um, you realize that the second law of thermodynamics applies to us as well, that things proceed from order to disorder. Things wear out. Things break down. And eventually, we all will need to pass through that door marked death. But what's on the other side? That's the burning question, because within each of us, there's this sense that we must have been made for more than this. It can't just be 70, 80, maybe even 90 years of life, and then at the end, an increasing lack of health and difficulty, and then we just simply become fertilizer. 
there's something inside each of us that says we must have been made for more than this. And so this young man was an astute man. If we compare it to the other passages where this is recorded, we find out that he was a ruler. He had some kind of authority. He was in a position of authority. He was obviously a man of intelligence. He was a man of wealth as well. He had done well. And even better than that, he had done well financially by obeying the moral law of God. He hadn't cut any corners. He didn't do any shady deals to get that wealth. That wealth was legitimately earned. He was probably considered a, an outstanding example of a young businessman. If they had magazines back then, they would have wrote him up maybe as a cover story. One of the top 30 under 30 or something like that. He had, the world was his oyster, as it were. But he comes running. Now, in that culture and in that climate, a bit like Virginia, you don't run if you need to, unless you need to. It's hot. But he ran. Didn't fit with his position. Didn't fit with his wealth. He could have sent a messenger. But he ran because he recognized there was something special in this teacher with dusty feet from Galilee who was going around doing supernatural things. He realized if anyone understands about things that are beyond this world, it's got to be this young man who seems wise beyond his years. He maybe asked questions of his own local rabbis and wise men in his area, but he must not have been fully satisfied with the answer because he came to Jesus. He says he kneeled. Can you imagine that? This rich young ruler with all his influence and prospects kneeling in the dust before a homeless rabbi? He was humble, too. He recognized that he was in the presence of someone great, at least a prophet of God. And he asks him the question, good master, good teacher, good rabbi, what shall I do that I can inherit eternal life, that I can have some sort of assurance that this doesn't just end with my death? Solomon had some very interesting observations in the Old Testament. And he said he, he noticed something that was, a, a, that was a, a great evil under the sun. He said a, a wise man through his wisdom had laid up treasure and, and prospered. But after he dies, he doesn't know whether that, that all of that hard work now goes into the hands of a fool who just wastes it all. And then he said, well, what good was his wisdom anyway? And so this young man, with an eye on eternity, says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? The Jewish code gave clear instructions as to what was clean and what was unclean, what was acceptable to God and what was not acceptable to God. And Jesus gives him an obvious answer. He lists for him the Ten Commandments, some of them. These, these moral sins against other people, adultery, murder, theft, lying, cheating, and then even honoring your parents. And the young man quickly answers, Master, I've done all these things since I was a young man. I've kept them all. He's definitely better than me. I couldn't have said that. And Jesus, seeing that sincerity, it says, he beholding him loved him. He said, what a, what a fine young man here. But there's one thing he's missing. He says, go thy way. Go back. Sell everything you've got. Give it to the poor, and then come back here and follow me. And you're going to have treasure in heaven. And it says simply, he was sad at that saying, and he went away grieved. The man who had run to the feet of Jesus now slowly shuffles away. What was his problem? If anyone was a perfect candidate to re represent this new teaching of Jesus, you would have thought it would have been him, a moral young man, a success. 
one who had wisdom, wisdom enough to seek out the master. Surely he should have been one of the 12. I mean, look at the things that the 12 say later on. They're fighting over who's going to be greatest. And then, of course, the ones that had the audacity to ask that, the other ones really get upset at them. How could you ask that of him? Maybe secretly in their heart thinking, well, I think that place is reserved for me. I want to sit on his right side in glory. So what was it about this young man that kept him from eternal life? One word, self, self. So what's so wrong with self? What's wrong with being self-sufficient? I mean, there's a whole section of the internet that's devoted to those who believe in self-sufficiency and want to be able to live off the grid and provide for themselves and farm their own food, live without strings attached, as it were. What's wrong with self-sufficiency? Isn't that admirable? It may be in some areas, but not in others. You see, when we get to spiritual things, we have to realize that because of the actions of our first parents, we're cut off from God. The irony of our position is this. You know, in the, in the garden, there was that famous tree, the, knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and it had beautiful fruit on it, and the serpent comes and tempts Eve. I think we all know the story. Go ahead, take the fruit. You'll be like God. That was the whispered promise. And he saw that the fruit looked good, and it was to be desired to make one wise. Who doesn't want to be like God? To know the things that he knows. And so she took and she gave to Adam. What was the problem? Any good thing, which includes knowledge, remember that tree that was in the garden was a good tree. God made everything and he said he made it all very good. But even good things cut off from the giver become evil. You see, God is actually the source of all things. He's the source of our life. He's the source of love. He's the source of truth. But we have the option to block that. We have a will. We were made in his image. God is the only fully autonomous being in the universe. There is nothing that constrains his will. He can do whatever he likes, and no one can stop him. In the words of the Old Testament, no one can say, what doest thou, or he has no hands, right? Was the kind of mocking response that was given. God can do whatever he will. And when he made us, he made us like God, but in miniature form. And in this miniature form, we were limited, but we had those same attributes as God does, which is a will, a will to exercise. And we were to find the fullness of the exercise of our will in submitting that will to God, who's the perfect perfect one. In that, we would find joy. We would find the best version of ourselves in that submission. But self gets in the way of that. Self says, I can trust God for this amount of my life, but this piece, that one's mine. Nobody's taken that from me. And so the irony after the fall was this. Man retained his ability to discern between good and evil, but found himself unable to do the good. Does that mean that he's unable to do good at any time? Obviously not. Look at this young man. A moral, fine, upstanding young man doing good things. But when we there's there's a there's a there's a thing I think that we can all relate to. We all have a conscience. We all have that little voice that tells us when we're doing something bad or when we're doing something good. That conscience is a law to ourselves, isn't it? It tells us this is right, this is wrong. How many of us have disobeyed our conscience? I think we all have when we admit that, right? We have this moral law inside of us that's telling us to do something and we say, nobody's looking. Or maybe not this time, just this once. I've been good otherwise. 
And that, I think, is the essence of self, is this justification. You see, God is the only one who can rightly occupy the throne of the universe. He's the only one that can be that ultimate authority. But we say, for this moment in time, God, get off that throne. I want to sit there. Not on your right hand, not on your left. I want to sit on that throne. I want to be the one that calls the shots. And the funny thing is, I think we would be willing to let God take a percentage of our life, just not that little bit that we want to retain. You know, if Jesus had said to the rich young ruler, go sell 75% of what you've got and come follow me, the rich young ruler may have said, you know what, I'm pretty wealthy. 25% is a lot better than what other people have, and I know that if I'm careful with that money and work with it, I can maybe build myself back up to where I was before. All right, 75% of what I've got for eternal life, I'll do it. That's a trade. Maybe he would have been even willing to go as far as 90% or 95%. But that last little bit, that tiny little bit, that's self. That's the part where we say, God, you can have everything in the universe except for this little bit. This I'm keeping for myself. And until you let that go, God says, I can't bless you. I want to give you treasure in heaven, not treasure that you've got to leave here. You know, as a young man, my dad had a subscription to National Geographic, and we didn't have a TV, so that was pretty entertaining for me. I used to flip through it, and the, the stories that I liked the best were the archaeology stories, the ones where they found some ancient mound and under that earth, hidden for centuries, was this tomb with gold and old weapons and everything laid out, ready for the afterlife. And the best part of those stories were the artist's renderings. I liked art. And, you know, they would draw what it looked like when it was all new. I mean, you saw it afterwards, and it was kind of crusty and beat up and imperfect. But, you know, they would draw it the way that it was when it was new. And that was so neat to me to see those treasures. But you know what? Those treasures were buried with those people and they stayed there until someone else stuck them up and then they took it away and they put it in a museum somewhere. They didn't get to take that with them. Treasure in heaven, though? No one can rob you of that. It's more secure than a Swiss bank. It's there, not just for life, but for eternity. Who wouldn't want that? But are you willing? Are you willing to trade that last little bit of self that you're hanging on to for that treasure? You know what? As time goes by, maybe, as we heard from Brother Paul, maybe there's a moment when you're right on the edge and you realize, I can't hold on to this anyway. God, that last little bit I've been hanging on to, here, you can have it. And the Lord welcomes us home. But you know what? It says in heaven there's rewards too. You may get there, but wouldn't it be better when you're young to give that over to him? To begin building that bank account of heaven now to his glory, not our own? You know, I went to camp for a lot of years before I was converted, before I finally gave that last bit of self over to God. And I noticed something about myself. There were periods of time when I was looking around at those people there. Everyone was so happy. And I thought to myself, you know, is this just some kind of a grand delusion? Do these people all here kind of agree to pretend to believe something so they get the fringe benefits that we read about? Houses and lands and relationships and people that love you and, and this incredible network of churches that we can travel and stay in each other's houses and what's mine is yours, you know, all that beautiful stuff. Is this just, do they just kind of pretend to believe this stuff so that you get those fringe benefits, the stable families, the beautiful marriages, the, the precious children? Is this all just some kind of a, a greed delusion? But there was something about it that made me pause. I always liked music and Sometimes when the singing was so beautiful and I was giving myself to that and just participating in it and loving it and it wasn't about me, 
it was actually about God and I sensed that and I felt this, this is the best version of myself right now. Giving God glory for who he is and just giving myself to that with everyone else. And that was the thing that told me, yes, this is real. Your mind might play tricks on you, but your heart's telling you the truth. This is real. There is a God and he loves you. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said. Would a brother please select a hymn? Hymn number six from the Zion's Harp, all four verses. Please lead us in prayer.
Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for the day you've given to us and thank you for the message. Um, Lord, it's been clear what's been said today, uh, both from Brother Phil and from Brother Paul, um, who shared a little bit of um, his mother's testimony. And Lord, the message is clear today that um, there's nothing on earth um, that is sufficient for us. There's nothing that we can take with us when we, when we pass away. The only thing that is truly everlasting, Lord, is you and your kingdom. And so we pray that you would help us to, to, think, to think spiritually, to, have, to be spiritually minded and not to be carnally minded, to be concerned with the things of this world. Lord, you know the, the needs we have in life and we do have duties on this earth to work and to support um, and to help others. Um, and so we pray that you would give us the heart to do this. But ultimately, Father, um, our life is not in our hands. You can take our life at any moment. And so we pray, Father, that we would um, diligently seek you, um, that we would live life in accordance with, with this understanding that you are the most important, that we would not neglect our reading of the word um, and, and our prayer time with you, Lord, that we would not for, uh, forsake the fellowship with our brothers and sisters, but, Lord, that we, would, that we would prioritize these things and that we would be obedient to you um, and whatever um, path, wherever you have called us in life, Lord, wherever we have to support others to help others in need, Lord, we pray that we would be obedient to your word and to be doers and not just hearers. And so we just pray that we would, um, that you would really um, impress on our hearts today the message that was, that was brought forth. And Lord, we heard of um, the tragic passing um, on Friday evening of the, of the family of three that, that got killed in the accident. So we just pray that you'd be with their family, those who, have, who are still here on this earth, Lord, that you would mend their hearts and, and with time, Lord, we know you can, you can heal them. And so we pray that you would do so. And we pray for the many others, Lord, even in our midst um, who cannot attend because of illness. Um, we think of Sister, um, both Olga Vukov and Olga Ordog, Lord, we know um, because of ailments, they can't be here. And we pray for the many in our midst who are widows as well, that you would comfort and strengthen them, Father. Uh, please be with us um, throughout the rest of this day, and we thank you for all you've provided. In your son Jesus' name, amen. Would a brother please choose a concluding hymn? Hymn number 324, 324. All the verses.
think every one of us looks back at the innocence of childhood as the good old days when the world was beautiful and bright and hopeful. Found it interesting when I hear the stories about the horrors of concentration camp from, from my mother's point of view and my aunt's point of view. My, my mother was younger and so she was still a small child and despite you know death and starvation being around her she still saw joy and played with her cousins and has funny stories about what it was like to go through that time because that innocence of childhood protected her but then we get older and we start to to realize that people can't be trusted we start to experience betrayal we start to experience hurts and disappointments. And you can say to me, you know, how is it that, you know, the Bible wants me to become a child again, to, to pretend, as we heard, is this a, a matter of delusion? We've seen so much corruption in this world. We've seen, we've been lied to by all these institutions and all these people we were supposed to be able to trust. How do you expect me to, to shed that world-weary, cynical self-protection that I keep myself safe behind? Well, I ask you to just doubt one more thing. Doubt your own heart because that's that corruption that you see in the world is also even in you. And if you're on that throne, there's a despot and a tyrant that's going to make bad decisions, deceive yourself, and ruin your own life. And so it is that when we finally, and I know it took me a number of years to realize that I had to give up that throne, that control, you know, whether it was in this case money or whatever it is that I was hanging on to. And uh, the one who is pure and uncorrupted and true and can be trusted as the ultimate loving father, despite all the disappointments in myself and others, that I can return to that unsullied, pure joy of childish dependence on a loving God. May each one of us become like a little child that we could enter into that kingdom of heaven. With that, we will conclude this morning's service. Appreciate those closing.